you brought a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to open it up to the book of Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Picking up where we left off last week, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 8 this morning. Again, that's Revelation 1, 4 through 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. And it'll also be on whatever device you're watching if you're joining us online. So we had a really good weekend, a full weekend. Uh, many of you probably did as well. Uh, we got to celebrate our oldest ninth birthday, turned nine yesterday. Uh, and along the way, between setting up for uh, the party, going to a soccer game, having the party, cleaning up after the party, uh, I was reminded that he's nine and I'm 38. Can I get an amen from anybody else on that? Um, you know, it's fun to watch the energy uh, of kids, right? They're just kind of nonstop until they stop, and then they're done, right? Oh, don't mess with me. Leave me alone. You know, they get in that kind of attitude. Um, and maybe we do as adults, too. Maybe we have that limit as well. But I think we find it a whole lot quicker. Uh, you know, you just kind of, you, as the older you get, the more you understand that, hey, the, the body doesn't work the way that it used to. We don't have as much energy as I used to. And you're reminded every passing year that you are definitely not a timeless being, that you are very structured and bound um, I'm sure that many of you know what I'm talking about. You know the effects that time has on us all. It's hard for us, time-bound beings, to really imagine and get our heads around what it must be like to be timeless. But we're going to talk about the timelessness of God this morning. We're going to see John reflect over that in the continued introduction of the book of Revelation. A timeless God is without limitation. That's what we're going to focus on this morning and what that means for God and his relationship with us and our call to go out into the world. I'm going to pray for us one more time before we dive into the scripture. Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for your good, holy, and perfect word. God, I pray that through your perfection and knowledge and presence here this morning, God, that you would push away any distractions from our minds after a busy week. God, that you would reinvigorate and bring us uh, into fellowship with your spirit so that you might speak your word directly into our hearts and our minds. And God, we pray that through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, God, that you would do a work of transformation within us all. And we pray that according to the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We talked last week about the book of Revelation itself. 
that it is a book of prophecy as noted in the first part of the introduction that we read, the first three verses we took together last week. Prophetic in the sense that it tells us about things that will come to pass, but also prophetic in the sense that it tells us uh, the instruction from God, a word from God. It's also a book of revelation or an apocalypse, uh, meaning that it pulls back the veil of reality and allows us to see what's really going on in spiritual realms. Uh, to see from our physical perspective something we normally can't see into. John has the opportunity to do that and then communicate it to us. So it is a revelation in that way. But it's also a letter, just like many of the other letters in the New Testament. And it starts, at least at this point, kind of the secondary introduction, like most of the letters in the New Testament does. John indicates who he is. This is John, John the Apostle, John who wrote the Gospel of John, John who wrote the Epistles of John. And we have him here on an island receiving this vision and then communicating it to whom he calls the seven churches in Asia. Now, these are particular churches, historical, actual churches that existed in Asia Minor, what we would call modern-day Turkey, uh, many of them close to the coast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, And John has written this letter so that it can be taken to them and read aloud most likely. Now, these aren't the only seven churches in Asia Minor in this period of time. There were other churches there. But as you will see, and as I alluded a little bit to last week, the number seven has not only repetition, but a lot of value and importance in the book of Revelation. Uh, And that the number seven is the Greek way to communicate fullness or completion or everything. And so when we see that number pop up over and over again, uh, which there for a literal reason, there were seven literal churches, but also there were symbolic meaning that this is written to all the churches in Asia Minor, and we can say by extension to all the church today as well. These letters are important for us. Again, we're going to talk about the timelessness of God here in a moment, and so what God said through John was important to the people of his day. It's also important to the people of our day, and whether our day is the last day or not, it will be important for the people of the last day. It is important for all of God's people throughout all time. Let me put it a different way. All of God's word is beneficial for all of God's people through all time. Every single jot and tittle of scripture is important for all of God's people throughout all time. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Really? Like Leviticus? Are you sure? Are you sure that all the minutia of the law is important for me now, today? Or are you sure that the ramblings of the, the people complaining and lamentations is really that important for me today? Or let's, let's not even get started on the Song of Solomon. Are you sure that every single part of that is applicable today? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm very sure of that. God's Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, It has a purpose today. It still separates bone from marrow. It still has the job of going in and convicting. And when God's Word goes out, it doesn't come back to Him void. We know this from the testimony of Scripture. And so we can know, we can have faith in God's Word that it is important for all of God's people throughout all of time. Whether it is saying something directly to you in a moment, or it is saying something about a particular time that we can then translate into our moment. God's word is for us today. Yes, it was for the the, the many millennia of Christians that lived before us, believers that lived before us, and those who will live after us, but it is applicable to us today as well. John is writing to these seven churches on behalf of who he calls him who was, who is, and who is to come. God the Father, a timeless God, a timeless God who never changes. One thing about a timeless God is his character always remains the same. The author of Hebrews will tell us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God never 
changes. Now, God operates in different ways throughout time. He operates in different ways with different people in different contexts, but the character of God never changes. God is always loving. God is always sovereign. God is always creator. God is always sustainer. God is always victorious. God is always who he is, has always been who he was, and will always be who he will be. This is who our God is. He does not change. When Moses asked God who he is in Exodus, we get a response from God where he says, I am that I am. And it's really the perfect response. Leave it up to God to come up with the perfect response. I am that I am is basically a tenseless way this question, or probably a better way to put it in Hebrew is it fuses tenses together. And, and what most hearing from God is not just I am what I am. You could translate it a number of different ways. I was who I will be. I was who I was. I will be who I was. I will be who I am. It's a verb without tense. It's just the to be, to be verb meant to span over time, and that is indicative of a timeless being, a timeless creator. God always was he is, and he always will be. The God who formed Adam from the dust of the ground is the same God who formed you in your mother's womb. The God who spoke light into existence is the same God who opened your eyes this morning. The God who will one day judge the living and the dead when the final day comes is the same God who was in Jesus upon the cross, bearing the weight of sin for the salvation and forgiveness of the world. He is one and the same throughout all time. Our God does not change. He is who he will be, and he will be who he was. He is without time. More on this later. John is writing on behalf of God the Father. He's also writing on behalf of Jesus the Son, whom John calls the firstborn of the dead. In other words, there's more to come. Firstborn, that means there's something else later. That means there's a secondborn and a thirdborn. It tells us a few things about Jesus, that he's the firstborn of the dead. First of all, that he was born from the dead. That he was dead and then all of a sudden he wasn't. That he actually conquered death in the grave. That he was behind the tomb and then the tomb, the stone rolled away and he came out alive. He was resurrected from the dead. Jesus actually defeated death. But he didn't just defeat death for himself. He defeated it for all of us. He is the firstborn of the dead, meaning that there are others coming after him. Who are the others? It's you and it's me. It's those of us who claim faith in Christ and walk with him. We too will get to experience his first fruits of the resurrection, meaning that we too will get to experience that beauty. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of the king's the one who is powerful. And we have these seven spirits that are before God, kind of representing the wholeness of the Holy Spirit. Again, number seven, representing completion. And so we have the entire Trinity right here already. We have God the Father. We have Jesus the Son. We have the full Spirit of God present and ready to speak this message to John so that he might share it with all of us. John goes on to tell us about who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus, the one who loved us and freed us from sin. Not only did he love us and free us from sin by spilling his own blood, saving us from the penalty of sin and death that we had waiting on us, but as John points out, he also called us to be priests, a nation of priests, to go out in the world and to do the work of God. Hey, he had a purpose for us. If anything is true about this world, I think today, is that a lot of people are walking around without 
purpose, without meaning in their life, without direction to their steps. And aren't you glad that our God is not a God who came and said, I'm going to save you, and then 50, 60, 70, 80 years later, I'm going to come back and take you home, and then the party will begin. No, he's a God that today says, I'm going to save you. There's a heck of a party coming someday, but until then, the party is going to kind of get started with a pre-party, and I also have some work for you to do. I have purpose and meaning for your life. I have a calling, something for you to pour yourself into. And God calls us to that, and that calling is always available to us. He's the one who freed us from sin, and he is the one who called us to be a nation of priests. In other words, we are both rescued sinners and priestly warriors. We are a God who has been, we are a people who has been rescued by the God who came to save us. And this God also called us into a battle to fight for his namesake, to be a priestly nation, taking the light into the darkness. And so that one day, as John says, to him will be all the glory forever and ever. All dominion to this Christ. He talks about Jesus. Now we're getting into the kind of the, the return of Christ story. Jesus coming with the clouds. It's actually an allusion to Daniel 7. He's going to allude to Daniel quite a bit in this book. Daniel 7 of a conquering Messiah, of Jesus coming on the clouds in victory. The Jews of Jesus' time would have known Daniel 7 as a messianic prophecy because they believed that the Messiah who was to come was going to come in power that he was going to come to rule, that he was likely going to come as a militaristic kind of Messiah who would push back the Roman occupation and allow the Jews to exist as the promised people in the promised land, just like God had set up from the beginning. That's what they were looking for. So it would be no surprise for any of them to hear Daniel 7 or the God coming on the clouds compared to Jesus Christ. But the next part would have thrown him for a loop because John quotes Daniel 7, but then he also brings Zechariah 12 in when he says, even those who pierced him will see him. See, Zechariah 12 is a prophecy about a Messiah who suffers, a servant who suffers and is pierced for the sake of the people that he comes for. And John puts those two things together, and he gives us the picture of Jesus, who the conqueror, who is also a savior. The king, who also is a suffering servant. Jesus is both the conquering Messiah and the suffering servant. He is the one who comes to conquer sin and death once and for all, and he does it through an act of service on the cross, the ultimate act of service. And then at the end of the passage that we just read in verse 8, we have kind of a, a quote from God. And if you're looking to memorize passages or scriptures in Revelation, Revelation 1-8 would be a good place to start. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. A timeless God is without limitation. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, it's important. And two times here in just a few short verses, we have God called the one who was, who is, and who is to come. The second time, God actually describing himself that way. The Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty. The timeless God is without limitation. It's hard to get our mind around a timeless God because we are bound by time. It's nearly impossible. I would go ahead and say it's actually impossible for us on this side of heaven to fully understand what a timeless being must observe, must, must be like. Well, we know that God exists outside of time because time is a construct of our creation. 
Uh, if you see anywhere in, in, in Genesis or in John, there's the God who was. Uh, you know, one of the questions you ask when you're a kid and you're like, okay, where did Jesus come from? Where did Adam and Eve come from? Where did Moses come from? Where did all these people come from? You ultimately get to the question of, well, where did God come from? Who's God's mom? Who's God's dad? And the answer isn't an easy one for a child to conceive of because you're basically saying, well, God just was. Like, he eternally was. That's what the I am who I am means. It is a tenseless to be verb. God is saying, I am the eternal is to Moses. God always has been. God is and God always will be. He is constantly alive. There is no point in which God does not exist. And again, that's impossible for us to imagine because we are told that everything has a beginning and an ending, but God does not. God pre-existent and eternally existent in both directions, from everlasting to everlasting. Our God is eternal. It's hard to conceive of. People have tried to use metaphors to try to understand it. And one of my favorites is a C.S. Lewis one, or maybe an adapted C.S. Lewis one. When I was going into ministry, I read probably one of the first books I ever read, cover to cover. And it was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I'm sure many of you, have, anybody read that book? I'm sure many of you have probably read it. It's a great book. Um, it can be, it can seem a little daunting, but it's not. Just dive into it. Uh, it. It's a good book for someone thinking about some of the, like, intellectual parts of the faith. Anyway, at one point in the book, C.S. Lewis is talking about the timelessness of God, and he compares it to this. He says, imagine you're on a city street during a parade, and let's bring it into our age, and let's say you're in New York City. It's, it's Thanksgiving uh, you know, all the limitations are over. Everybody's back out in the streets, uh, and Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is going by, and you're watching the floats progress. You see the first one, and then you see the marching band, and then you see the, uh, you know, the pop idol or whatever singing on the next float, and just kind of goes by, and you see all these different things one at a time. Maybe you can still see the one that came a while ago, and maybe you can begin to see the float or the group that's coming next, but really the only thing you can really observe well is what's right in front of you. Now imagine that someone else, a reporter or something, is up in a helicopter or a blimp above it all. They can see the entire parade at once. All of it is visible to them. They're able to take it all in at once. It's not something that's moving by, piece by piece. They're able to see the whole thing at once. And God is like that compared to us standing on a street corner. Really, when it comes to time, we are much more helpless than we would like to admit. The only thing I have control over is this exact moment. And now that moment is something I no longer have control over. I can't change those words. I can't change your memory of those words. Like we have a video. I can't go back and, 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 you know, without some major technological trickery, I can't go back and change the fact that I said those words. Not only that, the moment that's coming five minutes from now is something that I don't have control over. I don't know what's going to happen. If I take God at his word, he could come like a thief in the night immediately and we all be taken up into glory. Or... Something could happen to one of us in this room, a medical emergency, or if this is something it's hard to get our mind around as Americans, but in other parts of the world, they certainly understand it, that we could be invaded by people with masks, ready to, to wipe us out and to push us off so that we might not proclaim the gospel any longer. Those things happen in the world with regularity that could happen here. I have no control over the moments that's coming. The only moment that I control is the one right in front of me. It's the only one that I really see. But God is above all and sees all. At the same time that he's with us today through his Holy Spirit, he is also with Moses as he taps the rock to bring water out of it while the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. 
At the same time that God is with you in your absolute worst moment, that moment that you wail and you cry for him to come and save you, that same moment that he is with you, he is also present in Jesus the Son, bearing your sin and guilt so that he can give you freedom in that moment. Our God is timeless. C.S. Lewis would say he lives in an eternal now, an eternal present. There is no past or future with God. He experiences it all at once. Now, through Jesus, he enters into our timeline. He decides to subject himself to time by being made in the flesh, and he exists with us and the Holy Spirit through time. But God the Father is not bound by those limitations. He sees it all. He's above it all. He is without limitation because he is timeless. And this is the part that really excites me this morning, and I want to tell you a few reasons why. In the context in which John gives us this reality that the God that he's talking about is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and he's both at the same time. He was, he is, and he is to come. This is the God that John is about to reveal to us. He tells us in that same context about the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us through his blood. So you know what that tells me? The love and forgiveness of a timeless God is without limitation. Come on now. The, the, the love and forgiveness of God is without limitation. That's some pretty incredible news. That means that thing that happened 20 years ago that you keep reminding yourself of or that little whisper in your, vo in, in your ear the enemy keeps reminding you of that, hey, you are that person, you are that sin. Guess what? God's love is so great that the moment upon which you, the moment which you called upon his name, he went back into time and squashed that sin and guilt once and for all. Not only that, but from that moment that you accepted him as Savior and Lord, God went ahead of you in time and knew that you were going to screw up again in the future, and he covered every single mistake that you would make. Not that we would live to make more and more mistakes, like Paul says in Romans 6. We're not saying let sin abound, but we know that once Christ has us in his hand, he will not let us go. He tells us he will not leave us nor forsake us. We can take that to the bank so we know that Christ's love and forgiveness, if he is a timeless God, is without limitation. You haven't sinned so bad that God hasn't already defeated your sin. And guess what? For somebody who deals with anxiety like me and you're always worried about what's going to happen next, oh, am I really going to mess them up? Mess this up? Am I going to throw it all away? No matter what you do, child of God, you will not outsend the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. No matter what you do, you might outsend the love of humanity around you. But God's love is timeless. And timeless love comes without limitation. So God's love and forgiveness is timeless. The missional call of a timeless God is without limitation. God calls us to action. He calls us to response. He calls us to duty and to a life of purpose and meaning. And that's always the case. Let me say it again. If you think you're in that portion of your life where you no longer have anything to give, ah, rebuke that in the name of Christ and realize that there is still someone who has a work to do in you. He called us, as John said, to be a nation of priests. A nation of priests don't sit back and wait for Jesus to come. They get busy while he's gone until he comes again. God has a timeless mission for us today. He said it very plainly through his servant Jesus. Jesus. 
that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, he commanded, until he comes again, until the days are over. That's our mission, and it never changes. And you're always called in front of you, no matter how many times you've made a mistake doing it. You are called to be his servant. The missional call of a timeless God is without limitation. And finally, in this part ought to excite you, the victory of a timeless God is without limitation. If we really do serve a timeless God and we know how the end will happen, if we really believe that he is both here and there, that he exists in the past and the present and in the future, if we really believe that, then the God who will ride on a white horse and conquer the enemies of the devil is with us today. That means the God who will throw all that is evil, the evil one and all his minions, into an eternal lake of fire, the victory that he has over evil is with us today. It's not something we have to wait on. Because if God is victorious and God never changes, then God has always been victorious. God is victorious, and God always will be victorious. I don't have to wait on God's victory. God's victory has already happened. It happened for me the moment that his son set upon the cross. It is finished. That's when it became real in this world, in this time. And once he said that, again, it went back, and it saved all those who had died in faith. Read Hebrews 11. Those people didn't know the name of Jesus, but their faith was counted to them as righteousness because Jesus was eventually coming. The power of Jesus' cross and resurrection went back to save all of those. It came forward to save you and me, and it will continue on until Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead, to save everyone who calls upon his name. This is good news. The victory of Christ is eternal. If Jesus, if God, time, without limitation, then his love is without time, without limitation. If Jesus is without limitation, then his calling is without limitation, no matter what limitations you think you may have. And if God is without limitation, is a timeless God, then his victory is also without limitation. The same victory that will reign supreme at the end of time is the one who gives you victory over your battle today who gives you the power to face whatever the enemy is throwing at you today, whatever voices you are hearing from yourself or from the evil one today. God has given you the victory to defeat those because he is a timeless God and he is always victorious. The God of Revelation is the God of today. The God of Genesis is the God of today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we enter into a time of invitation and reflection here just a moment. And as we do that, I want you to be thinking and praying a couple of things. One, if you have never met Jesus as Savior, if you have never experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ, I would love to tell you what that looks like. I'll be standing down here while, we'll si while we are singing. You can come and talk with me and pray with me then. I'll hang around after the service if you'd rather not come down in front of a crowd, and we can talk about it then as well. If you're joining us online and you want to talk to somebody, just message us on Facebook and somebody will reach back. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Jesus, where in your life
do you need to be reminded that the love and forgiveness of Jesus is without limitation? What sin that God has already forgiven you of are you still picking up and acting like it's your fault and you're never going to get past it? It's time to apply the limitless love and forgiveness of Jesus to that. What has God called you to? You don't think you have the strength to accomplish. God's mission is limitless. His calling is limitless. The God who called Moses is the God who calls you. And finally, where in your life do you need to be reminded that you have victory over the evil one? You have victory over sin. Yea, you even have victory over self. God is always victorious. He's victorious for you today. Where do you need to apply that in your life? If you need to pray about this or anything else, I'll be standing right here to do that with you. Like I said, I'll hang around after the service. We can talk and pray then. I encourage you, if you would like to come and, and kneel as an act of um, submission to God and pray at the front, you can do that. You can always pray right where you are or with someone else around you. And just allow God to speak to you of you and place that, that conviction on your heart about what you need to do with what you Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Our band is going to come up. And again, as they lead us on with the last couple of songs, may you just allow God to move in your heart however he wants to and then respond however he calls. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. God, you are so amazingly large. So much so that I can't even conceive of what it's like to exist outside of this thing we call time. And yet, God, in your mercy, you have stooped into our world through your son Jesus and now through your Holy Spirit to exist with us in the limitations of the time that you created. God, you are big and you are good. And we give you all praise, glory, and honor for who you are and for what you have done. God, may you speak to each heart this morning. There's one here who does not know you. God, may you stir in them to seek your face and to seek out your salvation. And God, for those of us who do know you, God, may you stir in our hearts. May you call us to apply your timeless love and forgiveness to sins that we can't get over. May you call us to apply your timeless calling to whatever you've put before us to accomplish, knowing that it's you who does the good work, not us. And God, may you call us to live in your timeless victory, not letting anything that may come against us from ourselves, from the world, or for the evil one to feed us. God, we love you, and we thank you for all that you have given us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.